Hello, and welcome to From God to Us. This is the podcast where we are looking at various biblical subjects and topics to study, under, to try to help us understand God and the Bible and the Christian life. In our current series, we're discussing the subjects of election and free will. More specifically, we're focusing on the doctrines of Calvinism and Arminianism. We have overviewed the beliefs of those two systems for you, and we begin looking at particularly at the five points of Calvinism and comparing that with the five points of Arminianism. We've talked about total depravity, and we've talked about election, and I encourage you to listen to the other episodes in this series so that you can gain an understanding of what we've learned so far. And we're trying to present the view of both sides and maybe come to some kind of conclusion, but I'm attempting to give the the basic verses that would be in support of, of these doctrines. Again, not all of the verses, but representative verses that would lead us to understanding these different beliefs. Today we're looking at the doctrine of limited atonement or atonement for all. Calvinist saying limited atonement, and the Armenian saying atonement for all or unlimited atonement. So let's begin with looking at what the Calvinist says. Christ's redeeming work was intended to save the elect only and actually secured salvation for them. His death was substitutionary endurance of the penalty of sin in the place of certain specified sinners. Christ's redemption secured everything necessary for their salvation. The gift of faith is infallibly applied by the Spirit to all for whom Christ died therefore guaranteeing their salvation. So the Calvinist is believing that Jesus died only for the sins of the elect. He did not die for the sins of the lost, of the non-elect. Jesus' death was only for those certain people that God chose before the foundation of the world. So when Jesus came, he came to die only for their sins, not for anyone else's sins. Let's look at a few verses, possibly, that would help be in support of this. One passage the Calvinists sometimes will turn to is found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, where the angel has appeared to Joseph and is telling him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife, even though she's already pregnant. And in verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And the emphasis here by the Calvinist is he will save his people. He didn't come to save all people, just his people, and they understand that to mean the elect. However, in the context, this is probably referring to the nation of Israel. It's referring to the Jewish people, and he came to save them from their sins. This doesn't mean that they were all necessarily going to be saved. Another passage that they point to is in John chapter 10, where Jesus is presenting himself as the good shepherd. He first talks about the fact that he is the gate to the sheep, and those who come to him enter in, and they have life. And in verse 11 of chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 16, he goes on and he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So the emphasis here by the Calvinist is that the good shepherd lays down his life only for his sheep. 
Now, I read one Calvinist in, in his explanation, and when he came to this passage, he put the word only in large, black, bold letters to emphasize that Jesus is saying he died only for his sheep. Now, actually, there's nothing in the text that says that. This is a, a bit forced. I mean, if you believe that's what he's saying, you can you can certainly draw that conclusion. But it seems to be he's just saying he died for his sheep. There's nothing here that limits his death to only the sheep. But that is a, one of the primary passages that the Calvinist uses to support. Also, John 17, 9, where Jesus is praying for his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And he says, I pray for them, and I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And so the emphasis here is he's not praying for the world, just for the ones that the Father has given him. So there's an emphasis on there's only certain ones the Father has given, and the Calvinist understands this to mean the elect. Also, we find in John chapter 6, verse 37, where Jesus says, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. Here, the emphasis is on the fact that, again, all those that the Father has given me, I will lose none of them, and I will raise them up. The Calvinist would emphasize that Jesus, obviously, is going to lose none of those the Father has given him, and the ones the Father has given him are those whom the Father has chosen. That would be the emphasis of this verse. But also, you look in this verse, in verse 40, he says it's the Father's will that everyone who looks on the Son and believes on him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up the last day. Who are the ones that the Father has given to Jesus? Everyone who looks on the Son and believes. If there's any limitation here, it's limited by those who believe, not by the elect. So I, again, I don't think this verse really supports limited atonement. There is limited salvation, of course, but it's limited to those, everyone, who believes. Another passage of Scripture would be Acts 20, verse 38, where Paul is saying farewell to the elders at Ephesus, and he's talking to them and encouraging them. And in verse 28, he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The emphasis here is that the only ones that he bought was, was the church, and he bought those with his own blood. And so they're trying to say that this is limiting only to the church. Those who belong to Jesus are the only the ones that he bought. Again, that's not very clear. It, it just says he, he bought them with his blood. It doesn't necessarily limit his death or his purchase of sin. It doesn't necessarily limit the ones for whom he died for. Although, if this is your doctrine, if you believe the other four points of Calvinism, then you kind of draw the conclusion that limited atonement is true, and then you look for verses to try to support that. But it, it is arguably one of the weakest points of Calvinism, and many Calvinists admit this as well, because there's just not a lot of scriptural support for limited atonement. 
However, the Calvinist will argue that does not God accomplish everything that he intends? And if Jesus died on the cross to pay for sins to save people, does not he save all those for whom he died? Therefore, their argument is that if Jesus died to pay for sins, then all those for whom he died to pay for will be saved. And so they look at this sense that God accomplishes everything that he intends to accomplish. This is an argument from reason, not necessarily from Scripture, because if God accomplishes everything he intends, then we must conclude that God intends for people to sin. Is it God's will for people to sin? Obviously not, but yet people sin anyway because God gives them the free will and the capacity to do so. God does not accomplish everything he intends. He does not intend for people to sin, yet people sin anyway. Therefore, the argument for God must accomplish everything he intends is a little weak in that sense. So we can't argue for limited atonement simply from the fact that God accomplishes everything he intends. I have given you the basic argument for limited atonement. Again, as all the points, if you're a Calvinist, you'll find many other verses and many other things that you would like to say in argument for this point. But we draw the conclusion that limited atonement does have some limitations itself. So let's look at the other side. Let's look at what the Armenian says that believes in atonement for all or unlimited atonement. Christ died for everyone. Christ's redeeming work made it possible for everyone to be saved, but did not actually secure the salvation of every person. Although Christ died for all men, only those who believe in him are saved. His death enabled God to pardon sinners on the condition that they believe. Christ's redemption becomes effective only for those who accept it. And so here the Armenian is basically saying that Jesus' death is is available for all, but it's only applied to those who receive it by faith. Some of the scriptures that the Armenian would use, we begin in John chapter 1, verse 29, where John the Baptist is out baptizing and he sees Jesus coming and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this passage, the Armenian would say, is very clear. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world, not just of the elect. Again, the Calvinist tries to say this is only refer referencing the elect, but it, it doesn't really say that. The emphasis here is on the world, all people. Again, John 3.16 is a passage we've already seen, but the Armenian again emphasizes this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Here again, for God so loved the world, not just the world of the elect, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, any person who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that would be the emphasis of the Armenian argument that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. Another passage that the Armenians might turn to would be found in Romans chapter 5, where Paul is comparing Adam in his sin that plunged mankind into sinfulness 
and then the act of Jesus, his death on the cross that provided salvation for all people. And in verse 18, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. So this is not universalism, but it's saying that all people were plunged into sin by Adam, and Jesus, his one righteous act, provided for life for all people. In other words, it's available for all. It's not necessarily universalism, but Jesus provided that for all people. Another passage of, this, of Scripture that the Armenian also focuses on is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writing there says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. So here, first of all, the context is all people. It's not just the elect. And that's emphasized by the fact when he's saying prayer should be made for all people and for kings and those in authority. Certainly all kings and all in authority are not the elect. So this is not talking about the elect. It says that, that there is one mediator between God and mankind, not just the elect, and that's Jesus Christ. It also says that he came and gave his life a ransom for all people. This seems to be pretty clear in, in saying that Jesus gave his life for all people. Another verse is found in 1 John 2.2. 2. In verse 1 we read, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus' atoning sacrifice is not just for our sins. Who is that? The believers. It's not just for our sins, but it's for the sins of the whole world. In other words, for all people. So the weight of the passages here seem to indicate that Jesus came to die for the sins of all people. Now the Calvinists would argue, but if Jesus died for the sins for all people, then why are not all saved? In other words, if their sins are already paid for, why aren't they saved? The Armenian would respond, well, it's available for all, but only those who believe actually receive the gift of salvation. Jesus came and died to make salvation possible for all people. But again, only those who trust and believe does the payment become applied to their life. Again, the argument for the Calvinist really is based upon primarily believing the other four points. So if you truly believe the other four points of Calvinism, then your inescapable conclusion is that limited atonement must be true. And it seems to be that oftentimes the Calvinists are searching for verses to try to make the Bible demonstrate that there is limited atonement. But really, a lot of these verses that they use are a stretch. It appears to be they're applying their theology to the text to try to find some verses that would support their limited atonement. I think, again, the verses of Scripture are very clear that Jesus came to die for the sins of all people. I think this is one point in the whole discussion that I would be most dogmatic on. The Bible does not teach limited atonement. 
you have to make an argument from the other four points and you have to pretty much stretch some verses to try to get it to fit to say that Jesus died only for the sins of the elect. In fact, this is one of the points that people who are not educated in Calvinism, when they hear it for the first time, are shocked that anyone would ever believe that. Because you would never really believe in limited atonement just by reading the Bible. You have to be taught this by a Calvinist. You have to be convinced by a Calvinist that limited atonement is true. The Bible just doesn't teach it. It teaches that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. And so at this point, I would have to say that the Arminian point is primarily true, that Jesus died for the sins of all people. And so when you come to this conclusion, then we have to look at kind of the rest of Calvinism and, and is it really true? Again, I know many people who will say, I believe in four points of Calvinism but not the fifth point. And the reason they don't believe in limited atonement is because you just can't justify it from Scripture. And so as we look into this argument, what does this really mean? Well, I believe that it means that salvation is available for all people, not just the elect. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ and places their faith and trust in him will be saved. How this fits in with election and total depravity is something we kind of have to work through. But I believe that the gospel is open to all people. We should be ready and prepared to present the gospel to anyone because we believe that anyone can be saved. And as we draw this to a conclusion, if you're a Calvinist, you probably don't agree with the argument. But it's very difficult, I would say, for you, the Calvinist, to argue from some of these scriptures that these verses are all just limited to the elect. It's very difficult. So I would say that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to pay for the sins for all people and all who place their faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ can be saved. I pray that God will bless you as you continue to study his word and study these issues to see what the Bible is really teaching us about God. What is the Bible really teaching us about salvation? What is the Bible really teaching us about Jesus' death on the cross? Is it sufficient for all or only for the elect?